Well, good morning. It's great to be with you this morning. Welcome to our home. This is the room we usually eat in, but in the past couple of weeks, it's also doubled up as a classroom for our 10-year-old, our 8-year-old, and our four-year-old. And I have to say that in that time, I have gained a new level of respect for teachers. If you are a teacher, if you are a childminder, if you're a nursery worker, I want to say thank you so much on behalf of parents everywhere for all that you do. We really, really appreciate you. Well, I don't know about you, but I've not got used to this way of life yet. And I'm, I'm not sure I want to, if I'm honest. There's so much about life that we've lost, and it certainly made me appreciate normal life. I wonder, what do you miss? What do you miss about normal life? For me, I really miss just being able to meet with friends, simple things like going for a coffee or going for a walk with friends. And I've realized that another thing I miss is structure, the structure of normal life. The days just seem to have become confused. I find it difficult to remember what day of the week it is, let alone what time of year we're in. The usual structure and markers of life have gone. Well, in all this, let's not miss the significance of this week we're coming into right now of Holy Week, of Passion Week, the week that leads up to Jesus' death and resurrection. This is a significant week. It's been a significant week for me personally. This is the week of the year when Alice, my wife and I first got together. The churches that we grew up in, in Cornwall this time of year, got together and staged an Easter musical. And it was at this musical that I first wooed Alice in one year with a rendition of a Roman guard And in another year, with a near flawless interpretation of a tree. Needless to say, she was blown away and the rest is history. But for the gospel writers too, this was a significant week. About a quarter of Luke's gospel, about a third of Matthew and Mark's gospel and about a half of John's gospel are given over to describing the events of this week. I believe the gospel writers invite us to slow down. And to take in the detail of what happened in this final week of Jesus' life, they cause us to pause and to reflect and really to ask the question, who is Jesus? Who is this man? Do you know, in all that's going on in the world right now, in this global crisis that we're in, this is still the most significant question. Who is Jesus? I believe that if we can settle on an answer to this question, And if we can know this Jesus, then there's a way that we can find peace in the storm, even in this storm we're facing right now. So we're going to look today at the events of the Palm Sunday at the start of that Holy Week and Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. So if you've got a Bible, why don't you go and find that now, wherever it is in your home, just go and grab your Bible so you can look at it with me. We're going to start in Matthew's Gospel in Matthew 21. This story features in all four gospel accounts, which kind of shows just how important it is. And to get the whole picture, actually, it really helps to look at all four versions. They each add a little bit more detail and a bit more colour and they help paint the picture. But we're going to start in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 21. Then I'm going to dip into Luke and John's accounts as well. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine too. Through the wonders of technology and our amazing tech team, it should come up on the screen beside me. Matthew 21 says this, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them 
and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Why don't we pray together, church? Father, I thank you for your presence with us right now. Wherever the church is gathered right now, you've promised to be with us and you're here with us. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. And I thank you for this passage, Lord. It's familiar in many ways, but Lord, I pray that this morning in these next few moments, you will underline things to us, underline truths that we know and reveal new truths to us. We pray that show us who you are. Holy Spirit, come and reveal the person of Jesus that we might have faith. We ask that, Lord, in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. I believe that God wants us this morning in the midst of everything we're facing right now to see the comfort and the challenge of Palm Sunday. The comfort and the challenge of Palm Sunday. So why is the comfort of Palm Sunday? Well, the comfort of Palm Sunday is that Jesus is king. That Jesus is king. I want you to imagine the scene on that Palm Sunday. See, Jerusalem in this time would have been packed with people. What a contrast to the pictures we've seen this week of capital cities completely empty. But this was Passover festival. And so the Jewish people would have made their way to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, to celebrate how God had set them free from slavery. Scholars believe that the regular population of Jerusalem in this time was about 50,000 people. But that during Passover, it swelled to about 120,000 people. And there would be this fervour, this excitement in the city. And for the leaders of the city, there was a tension too, because they knew that with crowds like this, things could blow up at any point. And to add to the drama, stories were being told about Jesus, things he was saying and doing, people being healed, a guy called Lazarus being raised back to life from death. And people were starting to ask, who is this man? Could it be that after years of Roman oppression, that God was going to come and set his people free? And so as Jesus makes his way down from the Mount of Olives and through the Kidron Valley and into the city, great crowds come out to meet him. And joining with Jesus' disciples, they form this procession that leads into the city crying, Hosanna, Hosanna. It means, oh Lord, save us. This is the entrance of a king. So what kind of king is Jesus? Well, I believe he's exactly the kind of king we need right now. First of all, he's a king in control. He's a king who's completely in control. See, everything in this scene is deliberate. Jesus is orchestrating this whole scene. Make no mistake, the place, the timing, the manner of his entry, everything is done here to make a clear statement about who he is. 
And, you know, this wasn't Jesus' normal approach. Jesus tended to keep things pretty secret. If he healed someone, he'd normally ask them to keep it quite quiet. But now it's different. He's riding into the capital city at his busiest. This is confrontational stuff. So what kind of statement is Jesus making? Well, he's fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. Matthew Matthew writes that when Jesus borrows the donkeys, it was to, to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. And in Zechariah 9, 9, it says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. See, this is Jesus showing the whole of Israel who he is. All those prophecies from years ago about the Messiah, they are fulfilled in him. Jesus is publicly declaring himself as this messianic king. You know, it's no wonder the whole city was stirred in this moment. So why is Jesus doing this now? Why this change of tax? Why has he come out of secrecy? Well, it's because his whole life has been building towards this moment, towards this week. This is why he came. And so he directs this whole scene. He makes this intentional statement to the religious elite and to the Roman rulers saying, this is who I am. What are you going to do with it? This is who I am. And he does this to stir the authorities, but I believe he does it too to give courage to his followers. There's this little detail in in John's version event, in John's gospel. He writes this, at first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realise that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. See, in the moment the disciples didn't get it. They didn't understand that Jesus here was fulfilling scripture, but Jesus knew that in the discouragements and the despair of the days that would follow, his disciples would need these things. They'd need these signposts that would point them to who he is, that he was completely in control through the whole thing. So they would give his followers faith. Do you know, these signposts are there for us too. Our whole way of life has been shaken by this coronavirus crisis. Just weeks ago, who would have seen any of this coming? Schools and businesses closed, having to stand two metres apart from each other in supermarkets, not being able to leave our homes. For some of you now, this, uh, this will be painfully close to home. Maybe it has affected your health or the health of someone you love. Maybe the isolation is affecting your mental health. Maybe this whole thing has affected your job and your livelihood. I want to tell you this morning, you have to hear this. Jesus is still in control. Jesus is not panicked by this. He's not shaken by all that's going on in the world right now. He's still the king. He's still on his throne. Psalm 46 says, therefore, we will not fear that the earth gives way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. While the whole world around us shakes, Jesus invites his followers to be still and to know that he is God. He was in control then on this Palm Sunday and he's in control now. Jesus is a king in control. And he's a king of compassion. He's a king of compassion. Because what kind of king rides on a baby donkey? Kings don't do this. A victorious king rides on a great steed, a stallion, as a display of his might and his majesty, but not Jesus. 
What does this say about the nature of God? Well, there's this wonderful gentleness about Jesus. See, this is how he's been with people throughout his whole life. So tender and so kind with the poor, with with people on the margins of society, with the sick, with the hurting. He's incredibly gentle. He's incredibly humble. There's a gentleness about the way he enters the city on that day. And it says so much about the upside down nature of his kingdom. It says that this is not a kingdom who will come through a display of great might and power, but through weakness, through death. God has come to set his people free, but he's going to do it through giving himself. Matthew 20, 28 says the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so Jesus comes, not with armour, not with might, but in gentleness and generosity. And the crowd couldn't get their heads around this. See, God hadn't simply come to save a nation from its Roman oppressors. This is much bigger than that. This is much more profound than that. He had come to give us all what we really need, freedom from our sin, He comes to save a whole world, people like you and me, from the things that we've done and thought and said that are wrong, so that we can be free from sin and free from guilt and free from shame, wonderfully, eternally free. And so at the Passover festival, when the Jews celebrated the time when the sacrifice of a perfect lamb meant that they could go free, the Lamb of God walks voluntarily towards his own death, knowing that ahead were the nails and the cross. Isaiah, in Isaiah 53, foretold it like this. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. It was compassion that brought him to Jerusalem that day. Often in the New Testament, it's said of Jesus that he was moved with compassion. And that word compassion literally means that he was moved to the gut, that he ached for people and it moved him to action. It was compassion that brought him to Jerusalem that Sunday. Compassion for you and compassion for me. He knew that this is what it would take to win you and me back to him. And so nothing would stop him from walking in towards his own death and giving himself for us. It is moving And it is beautiful and it's deeply profound. Who is this Jesus? He's a compassionate king. He's a king of compassion. I want to ask you in all that we're facing, in all that you're facing today, have you experienced the compassion of Jesus? I want to encourage us, church, let's look out for signs of his kindness. Let's look out for signs daily of his compassion. Lamentations 3 verse 22 says this, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Church, we have a faithful God. He's so faithful. He's so compassionate. On the message board of our church online homepage, we're beginning to see stories that people in the church have written. Stories of God assuring people of his presence. Stories of God showing his compassion through people. Stories of community amongst God's family. Take a look at these when you can. They're like lights in the darkness. Let's keep looking for and sharing these signs of his compassion. It's a wonderful encouragement. And let's keep asking, how can I show the compassion of God to others? What can I do to show the kindness of Jesus to my neighbours, to my friends and family, 
to those who don't yet know him. Jesus is a king of compassion. And he's a king who's coming back. He is a king who's coming back. Palm Sunday encourages us to look forward as well as back. Not just back to those Old Testament prophecies, but forward to a time when the king will return, when the king will come again. Phil Moore, who leads Everyday Church in London, says about this Palm Sunday story, don't mistake Jesus' meekness for weakness. Don't mistake his meekness for weakness, because here's the vision of Jesus that you get in the book of Revelation. It says this, now I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in his righteousness, he judges and makes war. Who is Jesus? This is Jesus. This is the risen, conquering Jesus who rode into Jerusalem that day so that he could defeat the greatest enemy of all, death. And the promise of the Bible is that there'll be a day when Jesus comes again as king and where the victory that he has won will be displayed in all its glory and that every knee will bow to the king. And in that day, the promise is that this broken world will be restored to the way it was meant to be. And there'll be an end to everything that's wrong in this world, to all the sadness, to all the pain. And there'll be no more viruses and no more sickness and no more suffering and no more fear and no more death. Our hope is in the risen King Jesus who will come back and who will make everything right and who will bring perfect peace in this world. I want to ask you, church, do you hold tightly these two things together? The Lamb of God, the gentle, compassionate Lamb of God who gave himself for you with the mighty Lion of Judah who reigns and who will one day come back and restore this world to all it was made to be. Rejoice greatly, church. Shout, church. See your king comes to you righteous and having salvation. He is a king in control. He is a king of compassion. And he is a king who's coming back. That is the comfort of Palm Sunday, that Jesus is king, that he's exactly the kind of king that we need right now. But there's a challenge that comes with this too, and that's this. Is he your king? Is Jesus your king? See, that Palm Sunday crowd was made up of a whole bunch of people with different motivations. Some were there because they were Jesus' disciples and they'd come to know Jesus. Others had heard about Jesus' miracles. We all love a miracle. Some were there because they wanted Jesus to overthrow the rulers. And doubtless there were people there who just got caught up in the emotion and the shouting. It's very easy to get caught up in a crowd. But here's the thing. Five days later, many of those people who shouted Hosanna as Jesus rode into Jerusalem were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Five days. That's all it took. When it was clear that Jesus wasn't going to bring them what they thought they needed, they turned on him. I wonder, are we ever like that? Am I ever like that? When life doesn't turn out as I hoped it would, when the whole world is caught up in fear and confusion and when things are shaking, how do I respond? How often do I get caught up in that fear? How often do I let negative thoughts rise up in me? Church, will we still choose to praise him in all that's going on? When things don't turn out as we wanted them to, will we still choose to worship the king? 
I want to invite us, church, to get to know the King again this Holy Week, to get close to the King and to walk with him through this Holy Week, to read the Bible accounts of that last week, to see what Jesus did, to notice how he responds and to look at who is really in control. And church, as we do that, to allow it to lead us to worship Jesus, to pause and to praise the King. Let's do that. But I know there'll be people watching this too, just like there were people in that crowd on that Palm Sunday who don't know Jesus and who certainly wouldn't say that Jesus was their king. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe for you, Jesus is just a compassionate man. Maybe he's just a good teacher, but nothing else. The problem with that is the statement that he makes on Palm Sunday is so deliberate and so confrontational that it demands a response that we either make him king or we write him off completely. So what are you going to do with that confrontational Jesus? What are you going to do with that Jesus? If that's you this morning, then I want to just end by encouraging you to look with me at Luke's version of the story in Luke 19. I'm going to finish with this. But I want you to see God's heart towards you. Luke 19 says this in Luke 19, 39. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, Jesus replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. In other words, if the people are kept quiet, if they don't worship me, this is such good news that even the stones will celebrate. But then see what, is, see what Luke writes next. He writes, as he approached Jerusalem, so as Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. Why? Why does he weep? Does he weep because he knows the agony he's going to need to face over the next few days? No. These are not tears for himself. These are tears for the people who do not know him. He weeps for the people who will not worship him. He looks at this city full of people who are apathetic towards him, people who cheer him one moment and deride him the next, and people who are set against him. And he weeps for these people. Why? Because he loves them. Because he loves you. Because he knows that it's only through knowing him, it's only through seeing him as he really is and choosing to accept him voluntarily as king, that you will find peace. You will only know peace in this crisis when you know Jesus, when you know that you're totally loved and forgiven by a king who is in control, who's full of compassion and who will one day return to make everything new. Is that your king. Do you know that King Jesus? Is he king over your life? If that's you this morning, then I want to invite you just to say a very, very simple prayer with me. If you want to make Jesus king over your life, then just say this prayer with me. I'm going to say the words and you can do this however you want. If you want to kneel or stand or close your eyes, put out your hands, however you want to do that. Just say this prayer with me and the words will come up on the screen beside me. Jesus, I've seen enough. I believe you are king. For too long, I've gone my own way. Lord, forgive me. 
I admit this morning that I need you. Today, I choose to bow the knee to you. Come and be king over my whole life. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live for you. Amen. If you pray that prayer with me this morning, I want you to know that this is a king who keeps his promises to his people, that he will fill you with his spirit and he will help you to live for him every day of your life. I believe the most appropriate response to all that we've seen about Jesus today is to worship. So church, let's worship together. Let's worship a wonderful, compassionate king who's totally in control in all things and who will one day come back and make all things new. Let's worship the king together.